Well, I might invite everyone to uh, start finding your way back to your seats. I know I've sort of cut that time quite short today, but uh, we, we will be able to continue those conversations after the service over tea and coffee and all of those wonderful things. I think there might even be a few tasty things left over from the Life Series from dessert last night, so look out for those. Uh, I have been asked just to uh, say a thank you to everybody yesterday that was here for the Working Bee. Uh, people put in quite a few hours yesterday morning. Um, Getting, getting the front area and everything tidied up and ready for our fate in a couple of weeks. And uh, People just started from 8 o'clock. I, I did not start at 8 o'clock, but uh, I popped in a bit later. But uh, big thank you to everybody who was there and, uh, and was a part of that. Very much appreciated. Before we uh, get into God's word this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us each and every day and you speak to us through your word. We thank you that every time we come to your word, there's something new and something fuller and deeper in there that we've not seen before. We thank you that your word speaks to us in every moment of our lives, in every occasion, in every time that we live through. You have words to comfort us in difficult times, words to challenge us in leisurely times, words to remind us over and over again of your incredible love for us and your grace towards us. We pray that as we hear from your word this morning, we might be strengthened and encouraged, that you might plant your word in us and you might shape us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we won't be uh, continuing our series in Corinthians that we've been doing today. I'll, I'll be getting back into that one next week. But in the time that I was on leave, there was something that happened and it was something that I thought that we should talk about. Now, I never thought I'd say this from the pulpit, but I think we need to talk about what happened at the Essendon Football Club a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> For those of you who might not have heard... Uh, the Essendon Football Club were looking for a new CEO and they appointed one, a man by the name of Andrew Thorburn. Now, that, uh, that appointment very quickly turned controversial and a lot of people were upset about it. Now, there are some people who don't like Andrew Thorburn because of his time at the National Australia Bank or for various other reasons, but that wasn't what any of the controversy was about. What people were upset about, what people got up in arms about, was the church that he belonged to. The church called City on a Hill in Melbourne. 
And City on a Hill Church, you might have seen it referred to in the newspapers as a controversial church or uh, things along those lines. City on a Hill Church holds that the Bible teaches that God created sex to be between a man and a woman who are married to one another. And they hold that God created humanity, male and female, in his image. Those are controversial views these days. And so many people complained about uh, the appointment of Andrew Thorburn to this role and questioned whether he would be able to uh, lead a club that would have an open and inclusive uh, atmosphere and environment for uh, LBGT athletes and, and fans and supporters. The uh, Victorian Premier quite famously got involved, saying, those views are absolutely appalling. I don't support those views, that kind of intolerance, that kind of hatred and bigotry. It's just wrong. To dress that up as anything other than bigotry is just obviously false. And... You can say what you want, what, whatever you might like to say about the irony of those statements about intolerance and hatred, but the reality is this is a view that's shared by a lot of people in our world, a lot of people in our country, our neighbours, our people that we work with. And so Thorburn was faced with a choice, either to resign from his church board that he was a part of, or to resign from the Essendon board. And so he chose to resign from Essendon. Now, I raise this because many people are understandably concerned that if this is happening in high-profile places, if belonging to a church that holds to the Bible's sexual ethics and teaching about gender is enough to get somebody in the high profile fired from their job. What might happen to us? Now, unlike some of you, uh, I didn't grow up in a time where everybody went to church and it was, it was almost unusual where some in the community didn't go to church. The environment I grew up in, you know, probably most people didn't go to church but churches and Christians were viewed as you know, people who were squeaky clean and maybe the fun police a little bit. And you know that sort of Ned Flanders picture of what Christians are like. But for most of us, you know, of my generation, we're kind of used to being thought of as a bit uncool and a bit strange. But it's new and it's different to be seen as immoral, to be seen as evil and part of what's wrong with this country and to face the sort of hostility that we've seen over those last couple of weeks. Now, I raise this uh, point just because this, what happened with Andrew Thorburn, feels like one of those sort of those tipping point moments that show us where we stand and where things are at in our society. And my job as your pastor is 
to make sure that you're not caught by surprise in the hardships that we might face. To think about that we know, given what might be coming, how we should live in this world we find ourselves in, to live amid hostility. And so we're going to read some things Jesus said that might hit a little bit differently today. The first one's from John 15, 18 to 21. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And then jumping now to Matthew 24, 9 to 14. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Jesus wants us to know that nothing has gone horribly wrong. That what we're seeing is expected. That just as they hated Jesus, there will be those who hate us as well. This isn't something that we can necessarily avoid just by doing the right things, by going to the right rallies and supporting the right causes. This isn't something we can avoid just by being respectful in the way that we talk about our beliefs. I know we had... Uh, over the last couple of years, the whole saga with Israel Folau, and he was persecuted for his views. And yet there was always that underlying issue of there was the problem that he didn't speak the truth in love. But now we see that speaking the truth in love still will not save us from those who have a problem with what it is that the Bible teaches because it's Jesus they hate. And so they will hate those who are like him. Jesus faced hatred and persecution and so did his disciples. And so when he called his disciples, and likewise as he calls us, he calls us to count the cost of following him. Because he assumes there will be a cost for each and every one of us. We read in Luke 14, 27 to 33, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he'll send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, when he calls us to give up everything we have, Jesus isn't talking about us making a vow of poverty and living as a monk necessarily. But it's about the possibility that we might lose things for Jesus' sake, lose the things that we have. And if we're not prepared to lose them, then there's no point getting on board with him. We need to count the cost before we begin. But what will that cost be? And this can be a difficult point to get into. There there are some Christians who... We love them, but they've had something of a persecution complex. And every single thing that happened is persecution. We don't want to be like that. But we do want to be realistic about the world that we live in and the way that things look like they might be going. Uh, Those of us who are old enough, well, you know, I suppose I'm not that old, but those of us who remember the early days of the war on terror will remember the ads on TV all the time calling us to be alert but not alarmed. And that's the advice that I'd give to us today. Not to be afraid and fearful and trembling about what might come, but to be alert and be realistic about the world that we live in. It's entirely feasible that other people like Thorburn may lose their jobs for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. We might see times come where people, you know, in order to work at a, at a business, might be asked to sign something that we cannot in good conscience sign. Now, I know in a lot of workplaces today, you know, people will be asked to sign, you know, things about ma- that, that, that this workplace welcomes LBGT people and, and makes them feel you know, welcome and shows them dignity. and they can. That's not what I'm talking about. We can absolutely love and show respect to and dignity to people who are people of the LBGT community, people whose sexual ethics don't match our own. But the time might come where we're asked to sign more than that, to say that, We won't hold to any views that suggest there's anything wrong with any of these things. That we won't belong to a church that says there's anything wrong with these sort of things. That's something we need to be ready for in case it happens. I know through my time in uh, in Bible college and among other people that Anglican, uh, you know, within the Anglican network, particularly the evangelical side, the ones who hold the God's word is true. That pastors, as they go through the ordination process at the moment, are being asked, have you considered the possibility that you could end up in jail for your preaching? 
We don't know that that's something that will happen. I'm not trying to say this is a guaranteed thing, but it's something that we need to consider and be prepared for. If I was to preach a message faithful to the Bible and end up in prison, who's going to front up the next week to the pulpit and speak faithfully from the Bible? That's something we have to think about. Like I say, I'm not guaranteeing any of these things will happen. But this is counting the cost. This is being ready. I don't think we're anywhere near you know, what we saw in the disciples' day of state-sanctioned violence against Christians and you know, like the state throwing Christians en masse into jail or beatings and those sort of things. But we do live in a time where mob action is quite possible, where, you know, vandalism. I might preach a message from the word one day and then, you know, one morning we'll come to the church to find windows smashed in and spray paint all over things. And that's, I don't say that as just something that could happen. That is something that has happened in places, you know, across the US. Um, We've even seen arson and things like that happen. Count the cost. Is there anything that we aren't prepared to lose for the sake of following Jesus? We may not lose everything. We may not lose all those things. But are we ready to, if push comes to shove? But we also, also need to weigh the cost against the reward. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We count the cost and we choose to follow Jesus regardless of the cost because he is our creator. It is through him, for him and by him that we were made. And he is our saviour. Even while we were his enemies, he gave his life for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He has given us a living hope of restoration to the Father, of being called children of God, and of having life that lasts for all of eternity with no more mourning or sickness or crying or pain. That's the kingdom of God that Jesus invites us into. And that's worth incurring a little cost. But we need to be sure that when the cost comes, we're not surprised that this is something that might happen for following Jesus. So then if you count the cost and you choose to follow Jesus all the same, how do we do that in an increasingly hostile world? I want to tell you, I think that we as the church will face two opposite temptations. We've got this, the the fault line of you know, that's causing all the friction, all the hatred at the moment is that of sexual ethics 
and, and gender. And that's where our society has diverged so far from what God's word says, that that is what's causing the conflict at this point in time. And so we'll face one temptation, the temptation to compromise, or at the very least, just to be silent on what the Bible says about sexual ethics, about gender. Maybe we won't actually decide that we don't, you know, we don't believe in the Bible anymore, but maybe we just won't say anything about it because it always causes problems. Maybe we'll just sort of put that aside as maybe that issue is, doesn't matter so much and we can just focus on everything else. The other temptation that we will face is to make sexual ethics and gender the only thing that matters. The temptation to controversy, the temptation to responding to anger with anger, responding to hatred with hatred, responding to insults with insults. There will be Christians who will go down that path and we need to be careful about that. There are Christian organisations that thrive on outrage and anger and we need to be very, very careful about that. We do need to be faithful in what the Bible teaches about sexual ethics but that won't be the only thing we have to hold firm to. We have to hold firm to proclaiming the gospel to the need of people for forgiveness and eternal life. We need to hold on to caring for the widows and orphans, the foreigner and the refugee. We need to hold on to all of God's word and not just the ones that are currently under attack. Jesus calls us to walk a middle road between those two temptations, the temptation to compromise or the temptation to controversy and argumentativeness. He calls us to be gently uncompromising. We don't compromise what we believe, but we speak with the gentleness that Jesus has taught us. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. That's 1 Peter 3.9 and skipping ahead a few verses to verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Ephesians 4.15 tells us that speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Be gentle, but also uncompromising. As Peter and the other apostles replied when they were told to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus, we must obey God rather than human beings.
I'm not going to ask anybody to give me their answer, but I want you to consider this question. What is your greatest temptation? To go silent on the matter of sexual ethics and, and gender and, and those things that cause all this unpleasantness? Or is it to become combative about them? To respond to anger with anger? Knowing your greater temptation helps you to be on guard and to follow the example of Jesus. So my last point this morning then, on living in a world that is hostile towards what we believe. How do we convince people that Christians aren't hateful bigots? That Jesus isn't a hateful bigot? How do we hold the gospel out to people who hate us? Because the, the, the Great Commission hasn't gone anywhere just because the world doesn't like us that much. We still need to go and share the good news. And God's word gives us the answer to that as well. We read from 1 Peter 2, 12 to 15. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. We've got a slightly longer passage, but an important one here from Romans 12, 9 to 21. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, so long as it's not against God's word. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And last but not least, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ideal ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you to participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You may be the only Christian that some of your friends know or people from your family or people that you work with and they will be told and this message will be reinforced over and over again that Christians are hateful people, full of hate, full of bigotry, full of anger and you can put the lie to that. They can go, well, this is what I've been told, but I know so-and-so is a Christian. And I know that they you know, disagree with the world on all this sexual ethic stuff, but they really don't seem like what people told me Christians would be like. In love, we can show people what it means, what Jesus is like. We can be his ambassadors. And that requires both things, both that we stand firm on God's word, but also that we live that kind of love and overcome evil with good. That thing about forgiving other people and loving those who persecute you sounds wonderful until you have to do it. And then it gets much harder. We need to count the cost and commit to showing that kind of love because God has shown us a love that we do not deserve because God did not respond to our hatred with hatred but with love. And we need to hold out God's truth because well, people are already starting to realise that the world's way is hurting them and killing them. That the world's way is not bringing them the fulfilment that it has promised. I was reading this week about a book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. This is just one of a number of books that are starting to come out by non-Christian academics. This, this woman is a, a secular feminist uh, What's the word? Like, well, an academic in the field of like gender studies and that sort of stuff. Arguing that the sexual revolution and the things that people are pushing for today of uh, you know, no commitment, hook up sexuality with whoever you want is hurting people. People outside the church are starting to spot the lie. But do they know another choice? Do they know another way? Have they heard that the world's way is not the only one that there is? When people are left hollow and unfulfilled by the promises that the world has made to them, just go sleep with whoever you want to and then you will be fulfilled. Base your identity in your feelings and let your feelings define who you are. And when that leaves them crushed, And when it leaves them unfulfilled, as it will, when they're hurt by the painful scars of what they've done, do they have anyone to turn to that has told them a different story and that has held out to them a different hope? 
Be brave enough to hold firm to what God has said and to hold out in love that there is another way. Because even though it will get us into trouble and people won't like it, there are other people who desperately need to hear it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray as the early church prayed when they were gathered together in Jerusalem that you will help us to be bold for your name.